Welcome to Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. Over the next hour, you are going to go through a journey of transformation and self-realization. Now, here is Lena. Hello and welcome to Medicine Wisdom. I'm Lena Franklin, modern medicine woman, transpersonal psychotherapist, and founder of the East Institute. So Medicine Wisdom is a radio talk show that will teach you to that to journey inward is your highest calling, that you have the power to heal yourself. Your power and purpose exists within your medicine. Your medicine is the gift your soul came here to share with the world. And I'm so deeply grateful for today's guest, Lama Rod Owens, who is an author, activist, authorized Buddhist Lama. He is the author of Love and Rage, The Path of Liberation Through Anger. And you know, I was really sitting with this conversation, Lama Rod, and I remember a handful of years back when we first met, we both were speaking at this like a yoga festival called Wanderlust. Mm -hmm. And I I remember sitting in your session and as a teacher, it feels so nurturing to sit with another teacher and to receive. And I remember your words really moved through me and it felt like this you know, transmission, moving meditation in the way that you teach and the way that your medicine flows through you. So um, thank you for all that you bring into the world. And I would love to open it up with perhaps you sharing some about your story of awakening and being guided on your path to do the work that you share today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also thank you so much for inviting me um, onto this really important show. And thank you for this work also that you're offering the world as well. Um, This is really potent and needed medicine right now. So thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you know, for me, um, you know, I I, uh, was born uh, in North Georgia, uh, in Rome, Georgia, uh, and I was, you know, born into the Black Church. I grew up uh, United Methodist. Um, uh, my mother um, was, you know, became a minister, accepted her calling into ministry. I would say um, in my early teens, um, and I just felt so much familiarity with spiritual life with. Um, a spiritual community. Um, I didn't feel quite at home in the Christian church. Um, as I grew older um, in the church, I found the teachings of the church and just my early understanding of theology to be very limited. Uh, and it really started turning into an experience of suffering for me um, because I felt as if the church wasn't really interested in me being my most authentic self. And on top of that, I felt like that the church and theology, um, or what I understood of theology, and I keep saying what I understood of theology because back then, um, my limited understanding of theology 
um, really prevented a lot of deeper understanding. And it wasn't until much later in my life after study and practice that I really understood the, really the power of theology. But back then, you know, my limited understanding of theology really, you know, it just, it just felt um, like it just it didn't answer everything. You know, my mm-hmm. questions were about the nature of reality, you know, and, <laughs> and love, and, and particularly the expression of a God that was loving instead of wrathful or, or, or dominating. You know, I didn't want to be in a relationship with a God that was based on fear. And none of that really helped deepen, you know, my relationship to the church and with God and theology. Um, but I was also, at the same time, really getting interested in service, community service, activism, advocacy. And by college, I really decided to devote my time and effort to helping people in the various um, um, issues, um, um, various causes, and so forth. Um, and that really opened the door um, to to just a deeper engagement with people, you know, learning how to really love people, to have compassion for people, to really accept people. But it also opened the door for me trying to understand what that, that practice of love and compassion meant for myself, right? Mm-hmm. And I just said that, like, this has to be what we're supposed to be doing is just developing love and compassion. So I just kind of, like, let go of theology and did what felt right, you know, to help mm-hmm. people. Um, a couple of years after college, um, I was introduced to Buddhism. Um, after I kind of went through a period of just kind of a, a deep kind of a breakdown, a psychological, emotional breakdown, and that really helped me to start questioning um, more things. And also that questioning opened me up to so many other paths, spiritual paths that I had never considered. And it was in that exploration that I really started paying attention to Buddhism, particularly to the practice of meditation and how meditation really became this doorway into just experiencing um, the, the nature of my mind, the nature of thoughts and emotions and so forth. But really also meditation helped me to develop agency over um, so much of my suffering and discomfort in the world. And I began to see this really intense shift in my well-being. Um, and then I got deeper into the philosophy of Buddhism and really connected to Tibetan Buddhism um, as a, a path of practice. And I knew once, once that connection happened, I knew that I wanted to be um, a teacher. So um, I left my life, uh, moved to a monastery, Tibetan Buddhist monastery in upstate New York, or rather Hudson Valley, New York, um, and um, started studying with my teacher who was an elder Tibetan master um, who had immigrated from Tibet um, in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And I eventually went into um, a three-year retreat. It was actually more than three years, but a three-year retreat, um, a secluded cloistered retreat with just a handful of practitioners. And I just really deepened into the practices of the path and um, retreat ended and I was authorized as a teacher, a Lama, 
um, which means teacher in, in, in Tibetan Buddhism. And I've just been doing this work ever since. That's been about 12 years ago when I um, finished retreat and received my authorization. And my path since then has been really a, been about bridging the paths of social justice and, and spirituality, or sometimes I often say the paths of social freedom and ultimate freedom, bringing both of those paths together um, and making it workable in this life, in this body. Mm. Beautiful. And in that bridging, because one of the many things I, I so love and respect about your path is that you, you embody this bridge between the divine energy of creation, of existence of God, and the very dense and dark and shadowy physical plane that we exist on. Mm-hmm. How, when you, and you spoke about this deconstruction at this time of your life, psychologically, emotionally, can you share more about that? What what was what was that deconstruction? Because the image mm-hmm. I got when you when you shared that Lamarad was um, like a branching out, like this interdependence, this web of existence. That it wasn't just yeah. this one constrictive path of one theology. That it became um, very much universal truth as you broke down some of those inner structures, which are simply representations of the outer structures that we see. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely, you know, all of that. It was a breaking open and trying to make sense of the breaking. Um, I knew that the phenomenal world, the form world, was an illusion. And I knew that in order to master the illusion, or to stop taking the illusion so real, I had to expand. I had to let go of who I thought I was. Mm. Um, And this limited idea of who Rod was. And some of, um, I would say some of the experiences during that time felt like severe depression, clinical depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it was Um, also about formation. You know, I was in this deep, intense formation. And out of that formation, I think um, there was a lot of grief as well. I think that when we change, we grieve, right? And, And I was letting go of the person that I used to be. And I was opening to the truth, um, that I was always oriented toward. You know, and so it was an experience. So it wasn't like this intellectual thing. It was this experience that was happening. I wasn't used to experiences, you know, and this is what Buddhism taught me. Buddhism, Buddhism is a path of experiencing, right? And so I had to train to feel, to notice, to allow, right? these new experiences that were arising. And it was, you know, it was painful. You know, it was absolutely painful, you know. But I think one of the things that I think you've, you've, you know, so eloquently pointed out is that 
I was also learning how to balance light and dark at the same time, which mm-hmm. is at, at right now in my personal practice and teaching is a fundamental teaching for me um, that I had to hold both light and dark together, right? And I wasn't doing that at the time. You know, I was pushing things away. I was trying to grab onto the light, push the darkness away. I had to train to come into a place where I was opening and welcoming the experiences of both light and dark. And that really, over time, started facilitating an awakening of a really authentic expression of who I was and am. Mm. Yeah. As I'm sitting with this, you know, as you shared, as you sat with, the opening to both embrace the lightness and the darkness. And of course, you know, we're so conditioned to push away the discomfort, push away what feels scary, what feels dark. And it reminds me, you know, so much of the work we do with, with our clients here, you know, at the East Institute, as we're working with the sacred plants and the aspects of our conditioning, our subconscious belief systems and aspects of the ego come to the forefront, there's this propensity to, to deny those parts of ourselves. So for our listeners tuning in, how does one open to that discomfort in a way where we can hold both? And the second question that's coming through is like we need a sustenance and like a resilience to do that mm-hmm. how were you able mm-hmm. to tap into that mm-hmm. nurturing the sustenance for yourself mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think for me what i have relied on my whole life is the resiliency that i have been gifted from my community and from my ancestors Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm someone who, um, I'm descendant from enslaved people, um, here, you know, on this land. And there is a deep kind of survival and thriving that runs really, you know, potently through my ancestral line, you know, and I just always had that. And this is what we, I was raised with in my community that we're, we're going to make a way out of no way, right? Mm-hmm. That, 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 that freedom is just around the corner if we can just continue practicing and being faithful and praying and doing everything that we need to do. And I just have that running, you know, in my body. It's just like the, it's the air that I breathe. It's the blood, right, that runs through my veins. It's kind of survival that, that my people hold on, Right. Um, and so when all of this started to happen, it's just like, there was just something that's kind of turned on where I was like, Oh, like I know how to do this. People have done this Mm -hmm. over and over again, you know, and I linked my struggle to the struggle of my ancestors, but the struggle of countless beings who have wanted to be free and who have like actually engaged in labor to get free. And so that was really sustaining for me mm-hmm. um, just to hold on and to keep pushing through and to remember that I wasn't alone um, um, in the work. Right. right. Um, I think also 
for, you know, for many of us, you know, I think we also have to choose discomfort. You know, I think that we spend a lot of time pushing discomfort and suffering away. And I think that in order to really start transcending suffering, we have to start befriending suffering, right? Yes. And, you know, in, in, in Buddhist philosophy, there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is a sensation that we're just going to have. Like, we're embodied physical beings that will be pain. There will be sensations that are not pleasurable, right? And that's fine. But suffering is this layer of aversion of pushing away pain, right, that, that we get lost and wrapped up in, right? So some of us aren't even touching into the pain of our experience, but rather we're lost in the suffering, the aversion to the pain. And mm-hmm. so what I began to understand in those days is that I had to actually let go of all this pushing away, you know, and I had to say, you know, welcome, you know, welcome, you know, I am choosing you. I'm not excited about this. This, this doesn't make me happy. Like none of that. Like this isn't like fun, but this is necessary. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, for so many folks right now, it's, we want the work of working through suffering to, to be entertaining or fun, but it can be quite lonely and isolating, mm-hmm. you know, to really begin to choose suffering and to go into suffering to start letting go of the ways in which we suffer in order to touch into the bare experience of pain. Like, that's an experience that a lot of people aren't engaging in. And so when we start that work, it's, it's, it's just, it feels isolating. Yes. You know, um, and it makes us feel like we're doing something wrong. And that's mm-hmm. so, so many of the messages that I got in those days was really about me doing something wrong. Like, why mm-hmm. are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, I had so many conversations with friends and families, you know, about my practice in those days and where people were just asking, like, why are you choosing to do this? Right. Mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm. say, because I want to be free. <laughs> Like, like there's no other thing that I want in this life is is more than than freedom. You know, I I want to be free in order to help other people to be free. And that's my only purpose in this life. Mm -hmm. Right. And to do that, I have to choose the suffering and I have to open to the pain and allow pain to be there. And if we allow pain to be there, then pain, the nature of pain changes. Right. But it takes a lot of work to get there. And I've done a lot of that work, and my experience of suffering and pain has transformed, you know, since, you know, my early 20s when I started practicing. Mm. Mm. Thank you for being a beacon of wisdom in this vein. I think yes, yes, yes to all of this. It's so vital. It's such vital, important work. And of course, with our individual and collective aversion to discomfort, you're right. Not a lot of people are are doing this work. And in the same breath, more and more people are beginning to. I loved what you said around, it's not fun, but it's necessary, which to me speaks to the wise seeing of what this actually is. We're not sugarcoating it or 
spiritually bypassing or any of that. We're we're seeing the objective nature of what this work is. Yeah. And and also want to highlight your teaching and message around the interdependence piece of yeah, we come from such a resilient line of ancestors. Yeah. It's yeah. and the word that came through as you were sharing that part is beingness. We don't have to try mm-hmm. to be resilient. We yeah. are resilient. And it's more right. of a re- remembrance of that. Mm-hmm. And for, for those listening, it's like, you know, if you're on this this path of whatever we want to call it, the spiritual path of awakening, and you're going through it, that is your birthright, this resilience yeah. that your ancestors have suffered to give you in this moment. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, it's in the same way that, like, my ancestors lived and worked and struggled I mm-hmm. think all of that labor was about us, about their mm-hmm. descendants, right? Yes. And yes. now, so much of what I understand that so much of my labor is about my descendant actually having the resources that they need to be in the world and to thrive mm-hmm. and continue their work towards freedom, ultimate freedom. Yes, Absolutely. So you also touched on something um, that I, you know, feel guided to to move into and just name. And you said that in that psychological and emotional deconstruction you experienced, it, at times it felt like depression. And I think mm-hmm. in in a society where we pathologize so much, and as mm-hmm. you know, trained therapists, I kind of shifted from that world into the more energetic, shamanic, um, spiritual world that. Right it's okay to feel those darker pieces and they, they do present mm-hmm. at times like psychological symptoms. And, yeah. and so the question becomes, you know, how do we right tap into that resilient resilience and courage mm-hmm. to be present to it and to integrate it into our wholeness instead of taking on um, a label that perpetuates shame and, and that yeah. not, not enoughness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know you know particularly in the shamanic framework that's that's the lower realm work that we're learning to to develop a relationship with, right? You know we we go into the underworld to to release to learn to to you know to bring to awaken and unearth energies to bring up um, into these higher realms. Um, and for me, like I had to, as I was saying earlier, I had to actually learn to befriend the darkness. Um, and that's something that is a big part of my next um, book coming out in October, um, where like so much of so much of how I understand myself has really come from understanding the shadows within my experience or the things that I habitually run away from or the things that scare me, right? Or the things that scare other people, right? Learning mm-hmm. how to step up to that. You know, I've always said, and this is something I've always noticed about myself, I have always found myself very comfortable in dark places. 
Mm. You know, um, like there's just like physical dark places. Like I like the dark, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> um, I there are just cemeteries, you know, so forth and so on. There are just places that I feel an affinity towards that other people would just run away from. I think mm-hmm. because like I've always intuitively known that the darkness isn't necessarily there to hurt me, but it's there to teach me something. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to mm-hmm. kind of shift cultural and social narratives away from avoiding dark places to like actually learning how to develop a relationship to darkness. Right. right? And so when I say right. relationship right to darkness, it doesn't mean that like I'm attached to it. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that like I I'm being consumed by it. It means that like I am allowing darkness to have its place. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we're, you know, we're, we're concerned with balance here. You know, I can't, I can't be my most full, authentic self if I'm always trying to bypass the dark. And I think that when people are always bypassing, you know, these, the darkness, I think that's when we start engaging in really harmful, um, you know, activities, right? Yes. You know? Yes. There's a, yeah, I think there's a sobering here. You know, the word that comes mm-hmm. to me is just like, there's a sobering, there's a balancing when light and dark are held together, you know, That's and right. it feels really, it feels like contentment, mm, you know, it's like, it does. Oh, okay, okay, yes. like there, there's, there, here's the light and the dark, okay, there you are, and I don't have to be consumed by anything, I can just hold it, and by holding it, I really mean that, like, I don't have to react anything right if i can choose how to respond however like Mm -hmm. if i need to respond i respond but i don't have to habitually react to something right and that's the place that i value the most in my practice and Mm -hmm. that's why i want so many of us to be in our lives where we're where we're choosing to respond not being lost in habitual reactivity Mm, yes, no. that sitting with and in in that vein, not identifying with, right? You know, if we we experience the dark, we experience mm-hmm. the pain, the suffering, the depression, the yeah. e- ego reaction, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> can we objectively be with those experiences without? identifying with them and right. um, and the ego choosing to see them as further evidence of our not enoughness. So right. thank you. Thank you for naming that. It's interesting because um, what you shared is bringing me back to my own childhood where I too mm-hmm. loved as a kid, mm-hmm. loved to go with my dad and walk through cemeteries and yeah. read, read mm-hmm. dark poetry and mm-hmm. you know, be, be in that underworld um, place, you know, in a kid's version. But yeah. I do think it's like the soul recognition that there's, yeah. there's, uh, there are lessons, there's a richness and a potency there. That is a very much exactly. a part of life. There's very much a part of life and we privilege yeah the light and the comfort um, so, so much. So 
Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, okay. We we have so much more to dive into. Um, but we are going to take a short break. We're going to be back after the short break. And when we come back, we'll be diving in more with Lama Rod Owens on the path of enlightenment, sitting with discomfort. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. Have a question for Lena or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Medicine Wisdom. We are here dropped in with Lama Rod Owens, activist, author, Lama, Buddhist teacher, and we are really moving through his story and the richness of what it means to sit with both the darkness and the light and to embody the courage to move into discomfort as it pertains to our spiritual path and our evolution. So Lama Rod, I'd love to dive in to what what does walking the path of enlightenment really mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I was, you know, just saying earlier, we were discussing earlier about developing a relationship with darkness and learning how to hold light and darkness uh, and balance. 
and walking the path of enlightenment actually means that though we hold light and dark together, we're choosing the light, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we're choosing to lean into the light, but not push away the darkness, right? And that means that we're choosing clarity and honesty and directness. We're choosing compassion. We're choosing love. Um, but, you know, we're also choosing to transcend duality, right? We're choosing to to understand that we are expressions of of a, a divine experience, right? And when I when I say divine, you know, it's an expression of God, it's an expression of what I often call our Buddha natures, but but the divine is just this expression of space and energy and emptiness and light, and that's what we're trying to return back to. You know, we're trying to return back to our most authentic, purest expression. And the journeys that we're making through um, this kind of experience, through the world, through this reality, is learning how to choose our most authentic self, which is the expression of this divinity. Um, And that choice is something, yes, we make a, a... a general overall choice to do that, but the choice is actually happening every second of our lives. Every second we choose clarity. Every second we have to choose love, compassion. Every second we have to choose to hold space for everything, right? And eventually our truest self, our divinity begins to awaken, begins to dawn on us, right? And and that's when we start actually elevating and moving um, into higher realms of expression, to higher vibrations and frequencies, mm-hmm. right? You know, to let go of these lower frequencies of the form world and to start ascending back into these higher frequencies of the divine. So that's, that's walking the path of enlightenment, mm-hmm. choosing this every second mm-hmm. of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful and resonates so deeply with me the way that you described really holding that non-duality, but choosing the light. And I feel that that is, is such an important distinction for those who get confused about how am I in relationship with the darkness, with the shadow, with discomfort, and also in the same breath as a light worker or a light being who is here on this earth plane to perpetuate Mm -hmm. the light. So the way that you really said that hit and landed in this different way, I feel can be very helpful for people as they're navigating how to continue to cultivate the spaciousness, that emptiness, that is the essence of the divine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that when, we, when we walk the path of enlightenment, I think sometimes we, we think that it is an erasure or a covering up of 
personality. Um, and let me just put that into, to, to, into more context. I think sometimes when we come into a spiritual path, we think that the goal of the spiritual path is to turn into someone who's meek and mild and quiet and, you know, the cliche of yes. what we think a spiritual person is, which is often a monastic. Right. We think, (laughs) you know, like to be spiritual means to be a monastic, which I've been a monastic, right? And even then, I didn't feel, you know, the cliche or the stereotype of a monastic, of a monk. But I think that one of the things that really throws people off is that, yeah, you come onto the spiritual path, it doesn't mean that, like, you become a different person, right? And I think that, that that's really important. Like, when I really engaged in this work, I became more of who I was, right? Yeah, I think that I'm deeply compassionate and loving and dedicated to freedom, but I'm also, like, really interested in culture and who I am as a Black queer person and expressing that as an identity location. Like, I don't want to erase everything, right? And I think this is the the contradiction and also the subtlety of of engaging in deep spiritual work is that like you are like you're embodying identities and at the same time you're learning that these are these identities don't exist at the same time like this is something that's just being made up and you have to hold these two truths together and i think that gets really tricky like, yes. This isn't something that you can intellectually understand. This is something that we experience as we move deeper and deeper into practice, right? That mm-hmm. I can be this, you know, black, queer, queen, diva, you know, that I sometimes am. And I can yes. also understand that, like, yeah, I'm also not that at the same time. Right. You know, oh, and yes. to hold that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's. This teaching that holding multiple truths simultaneously, that you can be this incredibly vibrant black queer Mm -hmm. diva, like, you know, being in the physical world and also be this divine spiritual essence, this light being both are true. And and the truth is we are in human form in this particular aspect of ourselves. So how does one embrace that? You know, it's an Mm -hmm. experience. I know it's not cognitive, right? But how does one continue to practice if we're going to embrace life as a living meditation? Mm -hmm. How does one Mm -hmm. practice holding both simultaneously, Mm -hmm. honoring the Mm -hmm. identities and the aspects of our, our humanness in this particular form and also knowing that we are emptiness. Yeah, you know, and that, you know, for me, this is a teaching um, of a scripture in Buddhism called the Heart Sutra. Um, mm-hmm. and the Heart Sutra um, was a teaching that the Buddha gave and where the Buddha really, really expressed this teaching of how there's emptiness and form and that emptiness is form, and that form is emptiness, which is such an advanced, you know, teaching that to a certain level we can understand intellectually, cognitively, but, like, this is a teaching that we have to experience, right? Mm-hmm. And 
I guess for me, the ways in which I've embodied and internalized this teaching is that it's having a dual consciousness in a way. And what I mean by dual consciousness is that there's an acknowledgement of the experience of emptiness and there's an acknowledgement of the experience of a reality and form, including personality, identity, culture, and everything, you know, that we experience as humans. And to bridge both of these truths together, so from so for me, it's kind of moving through the world and saying, yeah, like, there's this identity here, right? But I know yeah. that this identity is yet another expression of emptiness itself. So it's mm-hmm. like playing a game. Yes. You know, like we, you know, we sit down and play a game like Monopoly or whatever. We know that the game is just a game. You know, nothing's really right. Bad, right? Right. But this is how we can actually move into this kind of complex teaching is that like this matters, but it doesn't matter. You know, That's I right. can actually embody these expressions and have fun and experience pleasure, but I also understand that this is just, you know, also an illusion. This is also an expression of emptiness itself, right? And we do that as embodied human beings. We do this because we are human, you know, like we've incarnated into this realm, embodied beings, and so I have to play this role you know, and we play this role, particularly as light workers and liberationists, because we want and we need people to identify with us. Like, no right. one's going to take us seriously as healers and light workers if we seem so spiritual, you know, quote unquote, right? Or if we mm-hmm. seem so aloof, or we seem so special and extraordinary. You know, right. I just think that, you know, I I do. You know, I, um, I think a lot about Jesus, you know, in particular, and the ways in which Jesus um, manifested as this person who definitely had flaws, you know, who definitely made choices that didn't seem that spiritual, you know, like moving to the marketplace, you mm-hmm. know, at the temple and just turning tables over. Like, what spiritual leader does that, you know? But what human right. does that? Yeah, humans do that. Right. <laughs> and I think that makes great teachers and spiritual beings like Jesus relatable, right? But when spiritual beings stop being relatable, then we say, oh, there's no way I can be like that person, right? So this, I mean, mm-hmm. just going back, right, to this original, you know, inquiry, I think that to embody identity, right, is a choice that we make because we want to be relatable, right? We mm-hmm. want people to see, yeah, you can you can be on this path towards enlightenment and still be in the world, right? And That's still sweet. engage with the world, you know, and people can see you engaging in the world as well. But you know that this is just a game that you're right. playing. Yes. Oh, yes. And I feel it's, some of the most important work and urgent work is is being able to be in the world and be in modern society and be within 
the systems to change the systems because the systems are merely reflections of collective consciousness and what exists within us. And so, right, the conscious choice to to be in the matrix and embody the roles and identities and play the game. There's also a levity that comes to that too, that's coming through, which I feel is important when we're doing this work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, well, let me also say this is, you know, there are definitely many beings who consciously emanate into this world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are beings who don't have agency right. that emanate, that come into the world. So the work will be different, you know, yes. um, but not impossible, right, for those beings who may not have had as much agency coming into this world. Right. Um, so for beings who really chose to be here, there's much more of an affinity. Right, and much more yes. of a, a connection to this truth, which mm-hmm. becomes easier to embody, right. you know, um, as well. And that it becomes lighter, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you just kind of know, oh, this is just like, oh, I chose this, yes, you know, this is an illusion, like it's just it's intuitive, yes, right. And I think these are the beings who are really trying to show other beings who may not have had as much agency actually how to come onto this path, mm-hmm. you know, to start really doing this in terms of getting free and getting mm-hmm. awakened. Mm-hmm. Yes. And speaking of freedom, which is, you know, that's, that's what our soul wants. And you know, that's, yeah. this is why we do this work. This is, you know, our existence, our birthright. And you spoke of your work bridging social freedom and ultimate freedom. Can you speak more about what that means and how it relates directly to the work you share? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so much of my work now is what I kind of um, call spiritual abolition, Mm. you know, and for me, it's really about how do we understand freedom, right? Real freedom. And not just freedom of the body, but freedom of the mind. How do I start divesting from thought patterns and relationships and systems and institutions that actually create harm, that actually get in the way of ultimate freedom? You know, Um, for me, like I... I, you know, we, we live in a world right now that, you know, particularly in this country where it seems like every day there's a freedom that's, that's at stake, right? Yes. You know, for so many, you know, disadvantaged communities, right? Um, and so I look at that and I say, yeah, you may take that away, but there's no way that I'm going to consent to believing that I don't deserve to be free, mm. you know? Like taking a, taking a right away doesn't impact my belief that I deserve to have that right, you know, or that mm. I will continue to practice that particular right in my life. Um, 
So when I so when I talk about social freedom in this way, what I'm really saying is that you can take away my body's agency, but you won't you don't actually have the power to make me believe that I'm not a divine being, you know, mm-hmm. that I don't deserve to be free and happy and well and safe, you know, and also yes. that's what I'm really talking about in terms of social freedom. And so like, I, I will always believe that all beings have a right to be safe and resource and happy and have access to everything that they need to be well. You know, and that links mm-hmm. directly to ultimate freedom, which just transcends all of that, where where we're transcending back into our divine expression, where we are simply just free, you know, that we simply are beyond the yes. illusion of restricting anything. Right. You know? um, I think so much of well, what I've seen in the past of many spiritual practitioners is this tendency to try to bypass the relative world, the form world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I want to be spiritual, but I don't want to deal with the suffering of the world. Right. You know? And we yes. get into <laughs> this teaching of emptiness, and we, and we use the teaching of emptiness to justify not caring. And we say, oh, well, mm. everything's empty anyway, so why should I care? You know, but what we should actually be doing is using the experience of emptiness, the teaching of emptiness to say, you know what? Yes, I may have some understanding of this, but there are many beings who don't and they suffer because they don't have this teaching. So I should be obligated. I should, I should actually be ethically obligated as someone with a deeper understanding of these teachings to offer my support and care to beings who are still struggling to understand this for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm yes. not going to leave people behind because I yes. found the key. Like I stay and I help because yes. there were many beings who stayed and helped me get to this point. Mm-hmm. And without them, I wouldn't be here. That's right. It's back to the sacred community that we touched on. And this is something that, we intend to flow through every everything we do in this work, um, especially here at, at East, as when we are in that place of moving into the discomfort and the shadowy aspects, being held by community becomes this non-negotiable in order to receive the nurturing, the sustenance to move forward in a society in present moment that doesn't necessarily have systems that support that type of work. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The essential yeah. Like community is essential here. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not isolation, but belonging. Right. So I want to just with the last few minutes we have Lama Rod, mm-hmm. what would you say to our listeners around mm-hmm how to embody the practice of love each day. Yeah. Yeah. I think so much of embodying love is really about deep self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Like it's about learning to hold space for everything. The shame and the joy, the sorrow, the happiness, the gratitude, 
and the fear, everything, all these like kind of opposites, you know, learning just to like offer space to everything, you know, so much of, of the love that I'm seeing is really, it's very conditional love, you know, where people are really, you know, people only loving others if those people can make them happy or comfortable, Mm, you know, which is really just an act of terrorism. Conditional love is just one of the most brutal experiences of life. You know, that we can yes. experience mothers, you know, that I can only get the love that I need if I fulfill your requirement. Right. You know? Yes. Um, but real love is unconditional. And real love, real unconditional love really comes from our experience of unconditional love and acceptance for ourselves. Like, I accept myself and therefore I can accept you. The space right. I have for myself is the space that I have for you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that like you don't need to be a certain way for me to want you to be happy and safe and resourced and free. I want everyone, regardless of how much I don't like them, you know, it's, I don't, you know, there are so many people that I don't like, but it doesn't mean that I don't want them to be free. Yes. You know, it just means that I don't want to be their friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which know? is different. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to get in the way of people yes. getting what they need because right. it's going to in- in- increase people's suffering. And I am anti suffering. Anti suffering. Right? Yes. Um, and this is my teacher taught me. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say thank you um, so much. I feel like we could be in this flow for hours. I'm so deeply grateful for your medicine. And for those of you tuning in, please connect with Lamarad. It's lamarad.com and then at Lamarad Official. And you can connect more deeply with his incredible medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, Stay tuned next week, our episode with Ellen Vora, holistic psychiatrist, be diving into all of her wonderful teachings. And remember, the world needs the gifts only you have. What is your medicine? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. We hope today's episode was educational and helpful. Until we talk again next week, have a fabulous week.